All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. If you turn there and uh, if you find your place, go ahead and stand with me tonight and we'll read a few verses. And as Pastor mentioned, we'll conclude this series next week. All right, Ecclesiastes 11 verse 1 says, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there shall it, be, it shall be. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so... Thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. And so, verse 6, in the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Let's pray tonight. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for a good day. Lord, thank you for this year, and we look forward to the year ahead. And I Father, I ask in the few moments that we share as we conclude both the day, the year, um, Lord, the, the, these, this time that we have, I, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts and that we'd find a bit of help in the text tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Many of you, especially those who have been working for any length of time or uh, in college or older, would have heard the term compound interest. I, I think that's something that my parents try to teach me early. And if you read any financial book, you'll, you'll hear this term a lot. And as young people, as you begin to get jobs, as you get older and earn money, you'll hear adults talk about the idea of compound interest. Compound interest is essentially interest that you earn on interest. And so if you have a sum of money and you want it to grow and you, and, and you want to invest it, then you would take that, you would take that money and you would, you would invest it and you're going to gain interest on it. But as time goes on, you literally gain interest on the interest that you've earned. And, and so there's a great benefit to saving money and investing it and, get, and benefiting from that. If someone today is age 20, do we have any 20-year-olds here right on the dot like you're 20 years old? Anybody hear that? 20? Okay, a few. I, get, I got fingers here. Okay, Brenda Hammond. Wonderful. All right. <laughs> Okay, so a 20-year-old here. Uh, anybody that's 40 years old, right at 40? Elizabeth will be this year, so I'll just use her, okay? Um, and so, okay, so maybe you just don't want to confess it, and that's fine, I, I get that. If someone's 20 years old today, and they invest $1,000, and they don't touch it for 50 years, at age 70, at a 7.2% reasonable growth rate, and, and that is, again, that's reasonable, uh, that money would increase 32 times, so they would have $32,000. And again, that's at 7.2% interest rate. Usually interest uh, rates are a little bit better than that. But let's say you wait until 40. And so at age 70, uh, if you wait till 40, you would end up with $8,000. That's the difference of compound interest. If you were to invest $1,000 at age 20, and then you were to contribute just $1,000 a year, until retirement, you would have $465,000 by the time you're age 70. Now, that's, that's, that's getting up there now with the figures. Now, that's in today's money. Of course, then it would, be, it would be a lot higher with inflation, but that would be in today's dollars. 
If you wait until age 40, that amount is $105,000. That's a big difference, isn't it? It's amazing the, the power of compound interest. Warren Buffett wrote a book called Snowball. And the idea is the, the biography of his life. And it, it's just this idea that, man, money can make money and things can snowball very quickly when we talk about the idea of compound interest. The most important idea behind compound interest is that you start early. Because right. the sooner you start, the better off things are for you. But compound interest isn't just a principle that works with money. It works with every area of life. And where we notice it maybe in financial terms in our lifespan, there's another life coming. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon specifically writes our long home. And that home is coming. Our eternal home is coming. And the things that we do in this life, and the earlier we get going on them, there's compound interest. And the effect of our good works makes such a difference in eternity. The things that you have at your disposal should be and they can be invested. And that is the idea from this text. That, that's just what, what Solomon's writing about and what I want to talk about here for a few minutes. God created us all unique. He created us all different. And he expects that each of us would use the gifts that he's given to us as an investment that accumulate interest and compound interest over the course of our lives. Every single person here tonight has a set amount of time. Now, I don't know what yours would be, I don't know what mine is, but it's a set amount of time predetermined by God. He knows how much time it is. And so use it, invest it. You have talent, you have connections and relationships, you have opportunities, you, you have ideas and dreams and a personality and thoughts. You have money and resources that are unique to you and the accumulated investment of those things over a lifetime leads to some pretty incredible results that we will one day see in the long home that we are on our way to. And so this is Solomon's big idea in chapter 11. Your life is meant to be lived as an investment. And so in verse 1 he says this phrase. He says, cast your bread upon the waters. Now this is a phrase that's old and it's hard to understand outside of historical context and most of that context is lost. And so we can really only guess at what this means However, most historians agree. And so most people would say, well, we look, we look at this phrase and we think that this means to engage in international trade. And the reason they say this is because of the context of the passage and Solomon's life and the way he lived his life. Um, the idea would be you would send your grain, well, the things that make bread or other goods, out to sea, and then you would wait for ships to return with desirable goods from foreign lands. And this was a practice that Solomon himself engaged in. So in the, in the book of 1 Kings, we read about Solomon's wealth. We read about all that he had. And we read this verse and his activities upon the waters in 1 Kings 10.22. It says, For the king had at sea a navy of Tharshish with the navy of Haram. And once in three years came the navy of Tharshish bringing, now, now catch this, he would send out an investment and again, this phrase, cast your bread upon the waters, this is what most historians, commentators believe he's saying here. Cast your bread. In other words, make an investment. And then once every three years, what he would get back to him, this is what he would get back. They would bring back to him gold, and he had a lot of it, and silver, and ivory, and apes, and peacocks. 
and I'm sure a lot of other things, but the writer makes mention of these things. And so Solomon would set aside some of his goods, he'd set them on these ships, and then he would wait three years for that ship to return, and once every three years, he'd get a new peacock, or a new ape, right? Or some, or some, some valuable resources. So he says, cast your bread upon the waters. Why? Well, he says this in, in the second part of the verse. He says, for thou shalt find it after many days. If you choose to make an investment in this life with either your finances or other resources available at your disposal, not immediately, but after many days, you will find that investment. And the idea is that investment is going to come back to you and you're going to be rewarded for the things you've invested. How many days is many days? Well, he doesn't say. It, 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 it could be three years. It could be 10 years. It could be a lifetime. But after many days, you're going to be rewarded. And it's going to be worthwhile. He says, thou shalt find it. And the concept behind this phrase is that there is a reward for those who make investments. Those who are self-disciplined, those who are willing to set aside some things and not spend it all, those who are willing to take their resources and what they have available to them and invest it into other people and other things. And again, it, it doesn't mean you'll get immediate results. But he is saying, after many days, you're going to get results. And you're going to like the results that you get. Then he says there's a caution. Not all investments are guaranteed. And so look at verse 2 with me. He says, give a portion to seven and also to eight. For thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. Okay, again, old terminology here. But most scholars agree that he's simply saying this. Don't put all of your investment into one ship. Right. We might say it like this. Don't put all your eggs into what? One basket. He's saying, he's saying, we would use this phrase, diversify your investments. He's saying, look, don't, don't just put it all into one ship, put it into seven or eight ships and, and make your investment that way. Why? Well, I would guess not all ships returned. Some ships might hit a reef. Some might get stuck in a storm. Um, some might just get lost. Some might be attacked by pirates. And there would be other dangers in the old world, no doubt, that they encountered. And so these ships would, some of them, lose their cargo. And Solomon is warning investors about the risk that's involved in invest investing. So he's saying, diversify your investment. That is the counsel that most financial advisors would give to you. It's the advice that I have been given. Why? Well, if I take all of my money, let's just say, and, and let's just say I put it all into Tesla. Let's say I take all my money and I just really believe in Tesla like Elizabeth does. All right. <laughs> Who's about to turn 40 this year? And I say, I say, put all my money into Tesla. Well, what happens if the Cybertruck is a complete bust? What happens if Elon Musk is Elon Musk? I don't, you know, I don't know. What if the talk, stock tanks? I don't know. So I'm not going to put it all into one ship. Okay, so what you could do is this. If you like Tesla, which we do, so there's, a, there's an ETF. And, and that is a fund that has 100 different companies that it represents. 
And I think that I, I checked right before service what it's selling for today. It's $409.52. And inside of, ET, or, or, of, of QQQ, which is an ETF, um, there are 100 companies, and one of them is Apple. Another is Microsoft, Amazon, Meta Platforms, and Tesla, Alphabet, Costco, and many more. So this is what Solomon is saying. Hey, don't just throw it onto one ship. He's just throwing it into multiple ships. Be careful. Be guarded. Invest your money. Invest your life. But diversify your investments. Why? Well, here's the reason. There's a lot of evil or misfortune that can befall you in the world, and you need to be wise to the dangers that are lurking out there. This is really practical advice. This is, this is, this is bottom shelf wisdom for us tonight. So after teaching about investments, after assessing risks, Solomon turns his, real, his attention to the reality of human nature. Now he knows human nature. He studied it. He thought about it deeply. And so he understood that when he gave this assessment, hey, there's a risk here. You might invest in some things and lose it, so be careful. Most people would pay more attention to the threat of loss than the potential for gain. And he knows what we do when we encounter risk. We hold desperately and cling tightly to what little we have because at least what we have is guaranteed. This was something Jesus knew too. And he wrote about it, or he talked about it in Matthew chapter 25. And he gives a story, and he starts the story with this, with this idea. He says, he says, the kingdom of heaven, and he gives an illustration, is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And so he has three stewards that come before him, three men, three servants, and he gives to one man five talents, he gives to one man three talents, and he gives to the last one one talent. And he says, I'm going to go away, and I want you to take care, steward the talents that I give to you. Now, before we feel too sorry for the dude that got one talent, um, you know, I looked this up on, on Google, so consider the source, all right? So these are very loose um, assessments of the values here. But as a unit of currency, a talent was worth about 6,000 denarii. And a denarii was the usual payment for a day's labor. At one denarii per day, a single talent, therefore, was worth about 20 years of labor, assuming a six-day work week, because no one worked on the Sabbath. Okay, so in modern world, and again, this is, this is rough math, that would be worth roughly $1.6 million. That was just one talent. That, that's nothing to snooze at. It's a lot of money. So they all had a lot of money. So even the guy with one talent was stewarding a considerable sum of money. So the first and second servant, they invest their money and they double it. I don't know what stock they were buying, but I would like it on that, right? And the last guy did what so many of us do. He held on to it. And what happened? Well, Jesus says the boss came back and he blessed and he rewarded the investors, but he cursed the man, not for wasting the investment, but for doing nothing for not investing, for, 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 for not taking what was given to him and, and spending it wisely, for not using it. The man was scared, though. He didn't want to lose anything. But in the process, he lost everything. 
Because the boss takes away his talent, he gives it to the other two men. Why didn't the man invest the talent given to him? And the answer is simple. He was fearful of losing it. When called to give an account, he says to his master in Matthew chapter 25, verse 25, he says, I was, and then he says this word, I was afraid. I was afraid. And he says, so I went and I hid thy talent in the earth. Many people will not invest for the simple reason that they are afraid. They're afraid of losing. They're afraid of losing. They're afraid of losing themselves. They're afraid of losing things. And so to press this idea, Solomon shifts from ships to seeds. And so here we were on the ocean and now we're in a farmer's field. And so in verse 3, I want you to look there with me. He says, if the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north in the place where the tree falleth, he says, there shall it be. Verse 4, he that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that observeth or regardeth the clouds shall not reap. This verse, these verses, like so many of Solomon's writings, have incredible depth to them and meaning, and there would be, there would be intricate layers of theology and practical application here. But I want to put these verses in the context of the bigger idea of chapter 11. So the farmer wants to sow some seeds and he gets his bag of seed out of his warehouse and he picks up the seed and this is precious seed. It's worth something. It's valuable. Here's his thousand dollars or more. And so he has this. And so he looks out in the field. He's prepared the field. Everything's ready. And he sees clouds forming and he begins to get a little bit nervous about those clouds. Well, then he looks. And in the field where he intended to sow, some trees have fallen down. And they're covering part of the place. I mean, they could have gone any direction, but they went on his field. And so the clouds are forming. There's trees that fall down. And then he looks and he sees it's windy. And he's thinking to himself, the seed is light. And if I go to cast it out and I go to spread it, the wind's going to catch some of it. And it's going to be wasted. And so now he's frustrated. Not only is it cloudy, there are trees down, the wind is blowing, and he's thinking to himself, if I throw out this seed, some of it is going to be washed out by the rain. Some of it's going to be wasted because of these trees that fell, and some is going to be lost to the wind. And all he can think about is how much he's going to lose. And all he can think about in that moment is the waste and what it's going to cost him, how much sacrifice there is going to be. Okay, stop for a minute. What is he not thinking about? What's he not considering? What's he not processing? Because the text says, he that regards the clouds shall not reap. He is not thinking about what is to be gained. He's not thinking about the seed that will make it into the soil, the seed that will produce, the seed that will multiply. And now he won't just have one bag of seeds, he'll have multiple bags of seeds. That's not where his brain's going. He can only think about what might be lost. He never asked the question, how much is going to be wasted if I don't throw it out there? Because the answer to that is all of it. All of it's lost. And so, like the steward in Matthew 25, 
Why didn't he throw out his seed? Because he was afraid. He was afraid. Well, what's he so afraid of? Well, he's afraid of the same things we're afraid of. He's afraid of the unknown. Look at verse 5 with me. Solomon says, As thou, you can underline these words if you want to, as thou knowest not. He says, no, I, I just don't know. And Psalm says, right. As thou knowest not, he says, what is the way of the Spirit? There's a lot you don't know. There's so much about God in this world you don't know. He says, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child. It's a miracle. You don't know. Even so, thou knowest not the works of God that maketh all. What's the point? Well, there's a lot we don't know. And what we don't know, we fear. We grow fearful out of acting because we don't know what the future holds. We see the wind. We see the storms forming. We see the trees falling. And we're afraid because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what we might lose. So what do we do? Well, we play it safe. We hold on to our seed. We hold on desperately to the little that we have. We hold on to our finances. We hold on to our time. We hold on to our energy. We hold on to our hearts. We hold on to our souls. We hold on. And then Jesus comes and quietly says, Whosoever will save his life. You know, hold that seed in. And looking at everything else, and I, don't, I just don't want to let go. I don't want to commit fully. I don't want to go all in. I'm afraid. I don't know what's going to happen. I need to reserve some for myself. And so I'm going to save my life. And Jesus, for whosoever shall save his life. You keep that seed to yourself because you're so afraid of wasting it. You will lose it. He says, you will lose it. It's guaranteed. Those who play it safe don't prosper in the spiritual life or in this life. You cannot reap what you do not sow. You cannot get from that which you do not give. It doesn't happen in life. And not only that, but when you don't give because we were made to give, you not only lose what, you not only lose what could be, you lose what you have. You lose it all. Withholding leads to emptiness. And so what are we to do? Well, the answer's in the text. Invest in things that matter and do it diligently and do it every day. So here's his advice, verse 6. In the morning, sow thy seed. If there are rain clouds on the horizon, trees that are falling and wind blowing, in the morning, you get up and you sow your seed today. You have seed to sow, go sow it. He says, in the evening, withhold not thine hand. Don't you stop. You keep going. You keep investing. You keep investing in people and in lives and in what matters. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper, either this or that, and whether they shall be alike good. This principle applies to our finances. It applies to our retirement accounts. It applies to, it, it applies to our spiritual lives. It applies to our relationships. It applies across every spectrum of our world. So here's some advice before we enter a new year. Stop getting up so late and sleeping in. <laughs> Stop wasting time. Sophia and I are reading through a book right now on, 
on our thoughts and, 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 and the, the mind. And so we're, we're reading a couple chapters at a time and we're discussing it. We were talking the other day and I said, Sophia, you know, in your world, what's that look like? She says, Dad, the media usage and our phones today, they waste so much time. They waste so much mental space and creativity. And I thought, I thought that was just true for me. It's facing so many of us today. Stop wasting time. Stop trying to hold on to your life. Stop withholding. Stop waiting. The clouds and the wind will never be right for sowing. Perfect conditions don't exist. If you wait for the perfect time and you wait for the perfect place to sacrifice and invest, you will never do anything worthwhile in this life. If you try to save, you are going to lose. That's a principle taught by Jesus Christ. Waiting for perfect conditions equals inactivity. If you keep waiting for the perfect conditions to go on that trip, you've always wanted to go on. You will never go. If you keep waiting to take your kids or your wife on that vacation, and you're waiting for the perfect time, it'll never happen. If you want to make a memory with your family, you need to do it. If we wait to save our money, we will never have any. If we wait to ask someone on a date, we will never get married. Or make yourself available to be asked on a date. If we wait for the motivation to get in shape and to be healthy, you never will. If you wait for the extra time to read the book you've been wanting to read, you will never read it. So pastor was encouraging this morning, and I just thought I'd follow up with a lot of encouragement tonight as well, right? Just lay it on. If we wait for the perfect church, we will never join. If we wait to tithe when finances are better, we never will. If we wait for the perfect ministry that fits us, you will never serve. If we wait to ask for forgiveness, if we wait to say, I love you, if we wait to be generous, it's not going to happen. Take steps to grow in your life now. Like in the morning, sow your seed. And in the evening, withhold not your hand. Make your life, make your world, make your relationships, make your job environment, make our church family, make it better. And do it now. Don't wait for conditions that may never exist. He that regardeth the trees and the clouds and the wind will not reap. There is no benefit. If we wait for ideal circumstances, nothing will get ever get done. If you wait until you know for certain you won't lose anything, you will lose everything. There's a lot we don't know. Look again with me, and I'm just going to highlight these, these phrases in the Bible in this text. Because in verse 2, he says, for thou knowest not. In verse 5, he says, thou knowest not, nor how. He says again, thou knowest not. Verse 6, thou knowest not. You get the idea? What's he saying here? There is so much to life you don't know. And it doesn't matter who you are, you just don't know. But then there's this phrase, and he twists, he twists the wording. 
in verse 9. He says, but know thou. So, so there's some things we, we can know. There are some things we know. So look at verse 7. He says, truly the light is sweet, and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. He says, but if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many, all that cometh is vanity. He says, so here's the counsel. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. Let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. Walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. And then this is what we do know. So there's a lot we don't know. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from thy heart. Put away evil from thy flesh. For childhood and youth, he says, are vanity. We know this, that God works in ways that are beyond our understanding. And that is something alone we can have faith in. We know that God's going to judge us. We know we stand accountable for all that he's given to us. And he has given to us so much. And so he's going to judge that. We know he rewards those who are diligent and work hard. We don't know a lot, but we know he rewards those who invest their life. We don't know a lot, but we know that investments, while they don't pay off right away, they do return profits in time because that's how God designed things to work and he's the judge. And so we know that. And so Solomon says, stop focusing on what you don't know because you don't know a lot. He says, and focus on what you do know. And if you, you do know this, if you'll follow God's principles, you'll be blessed. And if you'll invest, you'll be rewarded. So the challenge from the text is this, get up early and work. Like work. Well, I don't like my work. Well, welcome to the world. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, that's real life. Like, we're designed to work. We're made by God to work, to make a difference, to invest in this world. Like, invest in it. Get up in the morning and sow your seed. The farmer doesn't like to get up early either. But he says, do it and go sow your seed and do your job. And in the evening, don't withhold your hand. Send out another ship. If you send out seven or eight, send out nine or ten. Plant another seed. You're going to lose some. Some things aren't going to return to you. And you're going to think that's a loss. But some things are going to return to you benefits that you can't begin to imagine. I love this quote by Michael Jordan, arguably the greatest basketball player of all time. He's just an incredible athlete. He said, I missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. <laughs> I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. He said, I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeeded. The man worked hard, and he took another shot. But then there's this caution from Solomon that we see in verses 7 through 10. Not to just invest blindly, but to invest with a wise perspective. See, there are ships that are sturdy and good, and they're captained by the right man, and they're worth investing in. And then there are some ships that aren't so sturdy. And they're captained by men who would not be reliable. And that ship, it might be wise to pass over. In other words, there are some ships in life you should invest in, and there are some ships in life you would be wise to not invest in and pass over. There are wise places to sow your seed, and there are foolish places to sow your seed. 
In the stock market, there are good stocks and there are bad, just as in this life. And so a brief summation of verses 7 through 10 is simply this. Don't just think with your investments and the way you spend your time and your resources and your capital, don't just think about this present moment and the way that that investment impacts this life. Think about how those investments impact eternity. That's the challenge. What you do with the days you have matter so much. And so he gives this illustration about youth because those who are not young or the youth phase of life has passed them understand this. We look at youth and we look at the decisions that they're making and whether they realize it or not, those decisions that they're making at tender young ages impact the rest of their life. And so the conversations that I'm having with my children, that, that Brother Andrew is having constantly with our young people, that I hope you pay attention to this, is be very careful what you do with your morality. Be careful with the relationships you're involved in and how physical you are with another member of the opposite sex. Be careful what you do spiritually because it will guarantee you mark it down. It will prevent you from enjoying life later on. And how many of us look back at our youth and think, man, that has been something that has plagued me since I was a kid and I made that decision at 14, 15, 16 years old and it bothers me at 43 today. And so Solomon's saying, hey, let's be careful, enjoy youth, but boy, be wise, be smart, be thoughtful. And that's the illustration. But it's then as if he's saying, in light of eternity, we're all young. Hey, like we're very young, all of us tonight, in light of the life that is ahead of us, in light of our long home, we are so young and youthful. And the investments that you make today are going to impact your eternal life. And there's this temptation as we age to rely more and more on old investments and old contributions. And I don't know who said this originally. I had this written in the margin of one of my study books. But there was this thought that I wrote down, I heard somewhere, and it was simply this, that new blessings don't come from old sacrifices. It doesn't matter our age tonight. If we're young or maybe what we would consider older in this lifespan, we're all young. Spend the time you have wisely. Well, your attitude, your, your spirit, your heart, the time you have. Get up tomorrow morning and sow that seed. The seeds of righteousness and love and peace, the fruits of the Spirit, sow them. And in the evening, don't withhold your hand. You remember the servant with a talent who buried it in Matthew 5? The master returned. Again, it's a parable, i.e. Jesus. And this was, was his assessment of that man. This is the words, the adjectives he used to describe him. He said, thou wicked and slothful servant... What? The guy didn't lose anything. He was given one talent and he returned it, not missing anything. What do you mean he's wicked 
any slothful Lord. He didn't lose anything. Or did he? To Jesus, the man lost what should have been gained. That's what he lost. And so he says in verse 27, Thou ought therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I had, should have received mine own with usury. I should have received the compound interest. I gave you so much, and you withheld it. You played it safe. You didn't want to, you didn't want to do too much. You were afraid of getting too committed, of getting too involved, and so you didn't. If you withhold your life and you withhold your investments, you are losing what should be gained in this life. And you are sacrificing so much in the one that's to come. God is saying to us, be a venture capitalist in this life. <laughs> Invest in those around you. Invest in the future to come. He is not telling us to be idle. He is saying be anything but idle. He is saying don't be risk averse. That is wicked and slothful to be idle, to avoid risk. Invest your heart. Invest your soul. Invest yourself. Invest in your business. Invest in your family. Invest in your world. Invest in your church. And do it all with the perspective of eternity. This thought and I'm done. This year, this new year, 2024, it can and it should be the year we use in a special way to advance the kingdom of God and where the people of Eastland Baptist Church invest in those things that will make our lives and the lives of other people richer, fuller, and more meaningful. And it starts tomorrow morning. And Solomon would say to you, whatever's on your heart, Whatever inspiration you have, whatever dream God's spoken to you about, whatever thing he's been working with you on, tomorrow morning, sow your seed. And tomorrow night, withhold not your hand. Invest and give. And let's see the return that God will bring to our lives. Let me ask you to stand if you would tonight. Father, thank you for your word.